All right, we are continuing with our series on the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus taught, speaking to his disciples, and he's teaching them what it means to follow God's word without hypocrisy. And he's kind of, each of his teaching here is a parallels a lot of, with the Ten Commandments, and we're going to see that here. And before we read it, today's verses, let's pray. Dear Lord, open our eyes to understand these verses, to understand the truth in them, and then to, to, to trust you fully with our hearts and with our mind and understand with our lives so that we might know you and know the grace and truth found in Jesus and we might live by them and live your truth, the, the truth in, all, in us and in our lives and that we would um, just follow it and, and find how good it is and how good you are. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today's verses are... Chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, and the basic idea here is about trustworthiness, about being true to your word. Starting verse 33. Again, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black, white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So here Jesus teaches how important it is that each of us is true to our word, your, your everyday word. Every, Scripture says God will hold us accountable for every casual word. So, and I'm sure every one of you can think of a time when someone was not true to their word with you. And that led to distrust or loss or suffering or worse. And we, we see it, how important it is in, throughout society, from the lowest daily transactions to the highest parts of government. Last month, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker of the House, and eight Republicans and all the Democrats voted to remove him. And the eight Republicans said that their main reason was he had not kept his word. That's what they, they said. He had worked with Democrats to, on compromises to pass bills, which he promised them he wouldn't, and he had not worked for the specific issues that they said he had promised them. And quote from them, this is about trust and keeping your word. So trust... It's vital for leaders, but not just for leaders. It is vital for families, for communities, for societies, for whole civilizations. It is vital for everyone. And Jesus, in these verses here, specifically, he, he's correcting the Jews for arguing about oaths and missing the virtue of trustworthiness. And when you compare these verses with other scriptures, you, you see start to see what their error was. So first looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Did you catch that? So they swear, an oath is swearing by something greater than yourself. That's what an oath is. And it is used as final confirmation for either testimony or promises. 
Now in Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22, which we read earlier as our scripture reading, the Pharisees were basically, they, they were arguing about what oaths were better. You know, did, did swearing by a greater thing, was that more binding? And they said yes, and they used this to avoid swearing to God. And this is where our connection here to the Ten Commandments, because the second commandment <clears throat> says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, which includes blasphemy, using God's name like a cuss word, or swearing falsely, sweet, an oath in his name, but not fulfilling it. And the Jews took this, the second commandment, so far that they never said God's holy name, Yahweh, or some has pronounced it, Jehovah. And they, they would never say it out loud just to make sure they never profaned it. Well, well, then some people use that. Well, can, how can we make oaths to God if we can't say his name? Well, well, we'll make lesser oaths. We'll swear by the temple. We'll swear by the altar. We'll swear by Jerusalem, etc. But then some people use those lesser vows to excuse their dishonesty, to be like, well, you know, <clears throat> I didn't swear to God, so I don't really have to keep that promise. Or, you know, well, what, what I said was true, just, just not all true. But I, but I didn't lie. I didn't, break the, I didn't lie. And people, the Jews, were using these little oaths all the time into everyday life, casually on trivial things like, you know, like, hey, I swear by Mount Zion, these are the best cucumbers this side of the River Jordan. You know, <laughs> just all, everyday life, cat oaths all the time. And Jesus showed that every oath is to God. Every oath is to God. You can't, you can't distinguish them. Because heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem, his city. You want, to, you want to swear by your head? You can't even change the hairs on your head. They did not have Rogaine or, or hair transplants yet. So. And he says even your, your life, your very life is from God. Like, so you can't, you swear by yourself, by your own life, hope to die. That's swearing by God because your life is from God. So he's saying, don't, don't argue about what oaths are better. Like, forget the oaths and just tell the truth. Like, be so consistently truthful that people trust your word. That if you say something is true, they know you mean it. That if you promise you will do something, they know you will do it. Because dishonesty, it is bad all the time. Not just when it breaks an oath. Jesus calls you to be trustworthy all the time in every way. And just, just imagine what healing, what restoration, what reconciliation people would find if they experienced that the Christian community was thoroughly trustworthy. And I'm, I'm not here in any way saying that any of you are not trustworthy. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, what if outsiders experienced radical trustworthiness among us? What would that lead to? What, would, what, would, what if they experienced that you could trust Jesus' followers with your heartaches, with your vulnerabilities? What praise might God receive from that? Now, important to clarify here, this, this scripture cannot be used to teach that you can never take an oath. We, Jesus, even in the same sermon here, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we look at the, the law in the Old Testament, we see lots of examples for oaths. 
Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. In Jeremiah 4, verse 2. And if you swear, as the Lord lives, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. So God even gives examples of appropriate oaths. So the words, you know, as the Lord lives, <clears throat> that means I'm telling the truth as if I'm in the presence of the living God all the time. Because I am, because he sees all. And with, with oaths or without them, that's how we should live and speak and talk and, and do. Yes, be yes and no, be no, because God is with you all, everywhere. And this verse says, if, if we live by that, by that attitude in truth, justice and righteousness, the nations will find blessing and glory in God. We also look at God's own example. God makes oaths. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And even Jesus gave sworn testimony. Matthew 26, verses 63 through, through 64. This is when Jesus, say, after the Garden of Eden, after he's been arrested, he's in the house of Caiaphas, he's being questioned. The first round of questions, it says, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So th those words, I adjure you by the living God. I mean, that is, that is calling him to sworn testimony. That's what that's doing. And Jesus answered, Jesus answered it. <laughs> and he said, yes, what you have said is so. And you will see it with power from heaven. So there you have it, hashtag Jesus swore. Don't actually hashtag that, it will be read the wrong way. So bottom line, it's, this is not ultimately about oaths, this teaching is about being trustworthy all the time. It's about your virtue of trustworthiness being so radically different from the lying world around us. Oaths are there because the world is full of liars. And as long as the world is full of liars, civil governments will ask for oaths. They just will. And we look at the world, the world is full of liars and frauds. And we, if you've ever experienced this, you, you know how disruptive, how damaging dishonesty and fraud can be. And it's just so much of our, of our way of life depends on Trust depends on good word. You're trusting that insurance will cover what you've been paying for. You trust that your paycheck will come as promised. You are being trusted that you will pay off that credit card and round and round and round. And whenever these are not made good, there are real losses. And I think of one time, I remember once I got a phone call with a sweet bundle for TV and internet and I asked them really hard questions. I'm okay, you know, I, what is the rate? What contract am I getting into? I am not signing into a long-term contract. I'm not doing it. And they, I got all good answers, all satisfactory answers. So I signed up for it. 
And the first month was not what I expected, but it's like, okay, well, the intro month. Second month, I'll go, no, this is higher than I expected. Make a phone call. I'm in a two-year contract. Like, what? Like, this, no. And so we start, we start phone calling, calling our way, you know, hours on the phone with their bureaucracy, phone tag over multiple days. I'm on the phone, so I'm taking turns with Rachel on the phone because at some point I just, I am too infuriated to speak to any representative from this. I'm, I, no, you, I can't do with this anymore. And finally, we, we got their legal team to review the sale, the phone call, the sales call. And not surprisingly, they decided in our favor because <laughs> the guy who called us was just, uh, just a load of, uh, not going to say it. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and they, so we, were, we canceled it. We got our money back. You know, it's, it was good. But you can probably tell, I, I can still get, get worked up about this. Because I was lied to, I was manipulated. And all of us hate being manipulated. We hate being lied to. And then I had to work through a system meant to discourage me from getting resolution. Like, this is why so many of us hate bureaucracy. But that, that's a something as silly as TV service and a couple hundred bucks. I mean, there, there's people who have lost all their life savings, all, all their money on fraud, on, on a bad, on fraudulent calls and fraudulent scams. People's lives are destroyed by breaches of trust in some of the most vital areas of life. And healthcare is supposed to operate on informed consent, especially for minors. And I'm gonna talk about a, a very controversial current issue right now because it deals with this idea of dishonesty and how vital it is and how destructive it is to people's individual lives and to a civilization. So hundreds of people who have struggled with gender disorder in the past and have gone through transition procedures are coming out and saying, I did not understand what I consented to. These are now adults or maybe minor, but they often start way back and they're saying, I it was not informed consent. I did not know what I was signing up for. I was told it was reversible. I was told that it would certainly solve my issues. The parents were bullied and, and told, do you want a dead son or a living daughter? And now many of these people who have gone through these things are waking up and realizing the issue that they struggled with that, that was diagnosed for this was not even the real issue at all. It was related to a phase to a disorder caused by some trauma and wasn't even related to it. But when things got worse, the doctors just doubled down to know you need even more of this. And they realized, they go in there, they're saying, I was fast-tracked. I was, I was not given an informed consent and I was fast-tracked within months to the most extreme measures. And now they're saying, raking up and realizing, no, it, the, the problem was not actually what it was. But, but now the damage is done. And in the worst cases, for many of them, they are sterile and they are medically dependent for life. It means that because of what was done, the, their body's natural hormones do not function. And they need artificial hormones just for their normal bodily functions to continue. They are a medical dependent for the rest of their life. 
And this isn't just a few stories here and there. It's getting serious. It's enough that many insurance companies are backing out because the liability is too high. The insurance companies, not because of altruism, they're just because they've run the math. And they've said the probability that these remedies will reduce suicidal ideations among people with gender disorders is less than the probability that these patients will sue for malpractice and for breach of informed consent. So even corporations will acknowledge the truth when it costs them enough money. But for many people, it costs them their, their life. Their, I mean, not, or I shouldn't it costs them their health for the rest of their life. And this may seem like it's really broad stretch from this topic of oaths, but it actually is central to this. Because this means that doctors who are supposed to take an oath saying do no harm, although I'm hearing that many medical schools are not even requiring that anymore, who's supposed to take an oath of do no harm, but even if they're not taken, given an oath, they're using their credentials as an oath. They're saying to this patient, upon my credentials as an expert, this is good for you and you should do it. And, they're, and it's destructive and they're destroys their health for the rest of their life. And that, that's directly to this um, dishonesty, using an oath, using a credential for what is not true. And so someone must proclaim what is true. Even if no one listens, even if we're hated for saying it, someone must care enough to warn people. Dishonesty destroys business, it destroys relationships, it destroys health, it destroys government to politics, it destroys economies, it destroys civilizations. And it also destroys you personally in your heart. And I think here of Peter in the Gospel of Matthew. He promised Jesus, even if I die with you, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. <coughs> and Jesus warned him, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows in the morning. And then you come to the end of Matthew 26, and Peter is cursing and swearing that he does not know Jesus. Now, he's not necessarily cussing. He might have been cussing. He's not necessarily cussing. But he is swearing an oath. He's saying, may God curse me if I'm lying about this. I don't know Jesus. That's what Peter's doing. He feared men so much that he swore a curse upon himself. And then the cock crowed. And he remembered Jesus' words. He realized what his, he had done and his soul broke. And he wept. So from top to bottom, from civilization down to your innermost heart, dishonesty ruins. Can't treat it lightly. And when a, when a society can no longer operate on trust, as we've talked about how we operate, our whole civilization operates on trust from top to bottom. And if it can't operate on trust, it will operate on violence and fear. It's the only alternative. The mob or the dictator will rule. And lies and honesty, what's their source? Well, their source is the devil and pure evil. Jesus warned 
directly to those who uphold lies. He says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. <clears throat> he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Anything to do with lies, half-truths, manipulations is from the devil and participates in evil. And I'm going to try to clear my throat here. So we connect back around to verse 37 when Jesus said, anything more than your yes or your no is from evil. <clears throat> He's speaking of evil intentions. So if you're using oaths in a dishonest honest way, that is evil. If you swear to part of the truth but leave something out so that you can cheat someone or so that you always keep a loophole for yourself, that is dishonest. If your oath is intended to manipulate another's trust, that's dishonest. You will not only be judged by the oaths that you broke, you will also be judged by the intentions of your heart. So if you want to uphold the truth, be true to your word all the time. So what is, what is Jesus calling us do, to do? What's the good and, and, the, you know, and, the, and the thing to avoid? Well, so as we said, don't use oaths to manipulate other people into trusting you more. Don't use oaths to promise more than you intend while keeping a loophole for yourself. Don't swear about the truth, but leave out vital details. Don't promise what you cannot do. Don't agree to a lie just to avoid getting in trouble. If you borrow something, return it. If you take a personal loan, repay it. Only confirm what you know to be true. Keep your promises. Do not make rash or unnecessary oaths. Some oaths are necessary. You're permitted to swear to proper authorities when they demand it. For example, testimony in court, oath of office, or marriage vows, and similar things. And this is consistent because Scripture teaches to respect legitimate government as given by God. But when you make an oath, make sure you can keep it without reservation. Be trustworthy in everything. However, Jesus came to do more than teach us to be truthful. <clears throat> he came to redeem us from our dishonesty, to set us free from lies and deceptions, to show us the truth, and to transform us into people of the truth. Earlier, we looked at the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. He claimed to be the Son of God, the Christ. They didn't believe him, so they condemned him to death for blasphemy. But Jesus was not lying. He rose again from the dead, just as he promised. Romans 1, 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Jesus suffered at the hands of the dishonest so that he could set free, set us free from our dishonesty. His death paid the debt of your unfulfilled oaths. His death took the punishment for your dishonesty. And when you become his follower by faith, 
then the dishonesty, those dishonest intentions and actions that come from your heart, they are nailed to the cross with him, and their power over your will is broken. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God delivers from the deceptions in the world and from the dishonesty within you. And he transfers you into the kingdom of his beloved Son, the kingdom of truth and grace, where everything is true and gracious. And through Jesus, he leads you into repentance and he reveals to you the depths of your heart, the truth. And we, we continue to proclaim the gospel and hope that people who have not yet seen the truth will come to see it. 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So before any of us knew God, we were trapped in the lies of the devil. And blinded by his lies, we did his will and we spread his lies. But when God shows you the truth, you see the lies for what they are, you see them around you, you see the ones within you. And then, the godly response that he calls you to is to repent, to confess, God, I have been dishonest. I have participated in deceptions. And now I see the truth. <laughs> You've brought me to my senses, God. So now I want to be in the light as you are in the light. And Jesus is the light that reveals the truth to your heart. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he promises you in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is his promise to you. He will never cast you out if you come to him. So, so the worst liar, the most deceitful, distrusting person can come to Jesus confident in Jesus' grace and forgiveness towards him. But this knowledge of the truth, it's more than being correct. Right? So it is not a dull or academic thing. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you have been chosen so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the truth revealed in Jesus, it is a marvelous thing. You see the excellencies and the glories of God. You experientially know how good he is. And knowing the truth of God in Jesus, it is a delight to your heart. It is strength for your will. It empowers your character. So you stand for and in the truth because you love the truth. You stand against lies because you love the truth and because you know that the truth in Christ is going to be victorious over every lie and the, his light of truth is going to drive out all darkness eventually. And so because of this, you, you want to show yourself trustworthy in every way because you don't want any action or word from you to be the reason that someone else doubts God. God has gone to all lengths to overcome 
your distrust, my distrust, so that you will believe in him. I'm going to circle back to Hebrews 6, which we read from a couple times, and verses 17 and 18, they finish the thought here. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to that hope set before us. God made an oath. Why? To show the unchangeable character of his purpose. To convince us so that we might believe. Because we are so naturally untrusting. Because we're, we're filled with a world of liars and lies around us. And we have told lies. And we are, this makes us untrusting. But God is so gracious. He stoops down to us and meets us in our need. The God of all truth has redeemed you from all lies. He has shown you the truth, sanctified you in the truth, so now you are a person of the truth. And therefore, we each should strive to be trustworthy in every way. Closing with Colossians 3, 9, and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your words to us. May your word and your spirit open our eyes to the truth and give us strength to repent in any way that we need to repent and to follow the truth, to live in the light of your truth, to cling to you, to give ourselves fully to you so that we may be people of the light, that our lives might be just immersed and filled with the light of truth that we may be true to our Savior, Jesus, who has given up everything to save us. May this light be our hope, our delight, our encouragement. And may the truth in Jesus be our joy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.